Welcome back to the New Age Music Promo Podcast. I social hour. <laughs> yeah, social hour. I am one of your hosts, Ryan. I am Jim Jones. And today we're going to be talking about booking shows. Uh, one of the most common questions that we get at New Age or concerns is artists wanting to go play a thousand shows a year to make money or get booked on shows with large artists and just grind it out and touring. Um, Jim has expertise for 10 years in, in booking shows. More than 10. More than 10? Oh, yeah. 10 plus years in, in show booking. And uh, Jim, where do you start with that? Well, my, my opinions on this have, has changed, have changed over the years, uh, just based upon <clears throat> a lot of variables. Um, the internet is one. I think a long, long time ago, I told you personally that you, there's no reason for you to tour unless you can sell out in your own home market. I told you that a long time ago. I still believe in that in a sense, but then I'm also a big fan of Russ and he always talks about like how, uh, selling out in your hometown isn't, you don't need to do that anymore because of the internet. So there's like two sides to the coin. Um, the internet has obviously made it a thing to where you can have a fan base in, in the Philippines and live in College Station, Texas. Right. So, and you may not have a single fan in College Station, Texas. So it really just, it really just depends on where you're, where you're starting from and where you're trying to get to. And I know where you're trying to get to is a very blanket, vague statement because everyone's going to be like, well, I want to make as much money as possible. I want to have as many fans as possible. Like, well, let's, that's cool, but let's like really put realistic expectations on it. So from booking shows perspective, um, let's just, let's just tackle both sides of the coin. This is going to be a much longer episode because there's just so much here. Okay. So if you're, if you're starting in a market where you have friends, then I would say who friends who support you, I would say then let then then try to take over your home market first. Cause there's just something about like having that, having that in your, in your arsenal that you could go do a show in your home market and sell out. Like that's just dope. And if you, your friends are real friends, then your friends are always going to pay to support you. They're not going to ask for free tickets to shows. So if you can do that, that's super dope. And then from there, try to like plot out, you know, routes around your home market that are within two hours that you can do trades with, whether or not it's uh, taking the first slot on any show and paying a hundred bucks, paying 150 bucks. And uh, we're not going to get into the whole pay to play thing, but that is a way for you to just gain exposure. It's just, it is. Um, or even doing something where you like find other artists like artists in other markets that are close to you and just doing show trades. Um, whether or not it's hosting local showcases or it's like getting five to seven minutes on their set in exchange for five to seven minutes on your set. Like there's just a lot of like ways like that that can help us expand your, your reach. Um, so that's how I would start. And if you're anywhere close to a college market, uh, I would highly recommend that you find the venues that have college shows that don't necessarily need to be over overkill with local support acts. Like for instance, maybe like Gabe's in Iowa city, maybe you know who the owner is and you can say to him like, Hey, 
um, I'll pay you 150 bucks to be the opening act on this show. And you're from Minneapolis and you drive four hours down there to do that show. Like that kind of stuff makes sense. Right. But only when it's like the venue, like finding an outside promoter that's going to let you do that. It's probably not going to happen just because the outside promoter has less ways to make money than the venue does. Venue obviously has alcohol sales and sometimes food sales. So again, it's, it's what direction you want to go. And then once you actually get into that process, um, it's just really about being polite, being professional, understanding that even though the world is comprised of like two second media clips that everything is just snap, snap, snap. Just the fact that you send an email and you're professional is, is part of it. And I think we even addressed it in the first, the first uh, episode where we talked about what to send and what not to send. Right. Not going to read emails. Yeah. Not going to like go back through that again, go back and listen to the first episode if you want those little nuggets of knowledge, but that's essentially the same approach. Um, I will not, sorry, UPS. I will not click a link that someone posts on a, on a post that posts on a post. I will right. not do that. If you want to be taken seriously um, from a promoter, a venue, a concert buyer, whatever, then just be professional. Um, try to contact them in the most uh, professional way you can. On top of that, like understanding that there's a good chance that the first time you reach out to them, they're probably not going to respond to you. So your, your follow-ups have to be super polite. I have my two biggest pet peeves on planet Earth are small talk. I hate small talk. I think it's the stupidest thing in the world. Get on an elevator and someone's like, oh, it's going to rain today. And someone says, oh, yeah, I heard that too. First of all, why are you talking to me? Secondly, where did you hear that? <laughs> you mean you mean you looked at your weather app on your phone or maybe you looked at USA Today? Like, you didn't hear that. Anyways, and the second thing is follow-ups when you don't get a response. I will literally block someone in my contact list if they text me and I don't respond. And their next response is either one of two things. It's either a question mark or they actually the hit question the, the, the question mark on the text. That is an auto block. I'm done with you. You're out of my life. That is so, that's like the most disrespectful thing that you can do when it comes to like dealing with people in, in a professional space or even just people who have a lot of shit to do. Like I, I don't have like a day job where I go sit at like Dollar General and I'm just sit there dicking around on my phone or like the dudes at Walmart, like they're literally walking around texting now. So like, I'm like, I've got other things to do than just to respond to. To, to respond Anyways. to question marks. Yeah. So, so uh, to touch on the, like what you're paying for, like when you're saying, I'll give you 150 bucks to open the show. Like one of the most angry things that I hear a lot of people talk about is like the pay to play system. Can you break down what, actually is the purpose of that and what that money is going to and why you can't just have somebody come in, even though they tell you that they're going to sell the place out and why, so, why they have to prove it first almost. So there's, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mess this metaphor up, but there's like a, a, a metaphor statement that is true in all assets, facets of life. You're only as fast as the slowest moving train. That's how life is. So I deal with this on a day-to-day -day basis of people who think that they're the exception to the rule. And the rule is in place because 99 out of 100 people mess it up for the one. And there are no exceptions for the one. That's just 
business. It's nothing personal, but I could give a good goddamn if you opened up for the baby at South Padre spring break. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care that you were there on time. I don't care that you did your set exactly at 20 minutes. I don't care that you got off stage when you were told to get off stage. I don't care how many fans you met made down there. I don't care. I don't care. There's nothing to do with the fact that 99 out of 100 people either mess it up, they lie, or they screw you over. That is just the facts of life. So unfortunately, when it comes to these pay-to-play scenarios, you've got a couple of different options. You've got venues who will book you directly who may, because they get the bar, they don't do any ticket requirements and they don't want any money. Or they may just want 150 bucks and they'll give you some tickets because they want to see how hard you're going to grind to make, uh, make the show worthwhile for you and for them. Second option is someone pays you an upfront amount of money, like say all of the ticket money, and then they give you that amount of tickets in return to sell and you make $0 off of it. So that to me is a 100% pay to play. Even if you get tickets to sell, if you don't get the opportunity to make money, you that's a pay to play. If you pay and don't get any tickets, that's also a pay to play. Now, over the 17 years that I've been doing concerts, I have done a variety of these options and I have come up with a long time ago, a hybrid of what I feel is the best for everybody. <clears throat> because one, I am not at venue. I do not own the bar. I do not get the liquor sales. If I got the liquor sales, I would never book a local support artist. That's just a fact. I would never do it. It's, it's annoying. You all are annoying. You all are annoying. Uh, you have egos and you think you are the exception to the rule. I am friends with a lot of you, but you all make my life way more difficult than what it needs to be. So, um, what we do is we create tickets per slot. That way there's no, hey, I showed up first, so I should get to perform last, or hey, I got 50 tickets and I sold all 50 and this person got 50, but they only sold 20. Like there's no arguments, there's no coin flips. Like no, slot one is this amount of tickets, slot two is this amount of tickets, slot three is this amount of tickets. And there is a number associated with that that you are required to turn in day of the show. And if you do not, you do not perform. The reasons for that, and this is why this gets so misconstrued as to being a pay to play, is because if you don't pay, you don't play. But the reasons for that are, again, A, or one, I don't get the bar sales. Two, um, you just took, if you don't pay, you just took that time and that slot away from someone else who may have fulfilled the requirements for that spot. And three, I treat all of you with respect. And I want everyone to understand that you are a part of this process. You are a part of making this event happen. Like, I don't treat you like some redheaded stepchild that I'm just going here to take advantage of. Like, you're helping sell the show. You are, in essence, my street team. You're helping with the marketing. Like, I give you all the tools and assets to, to give you the opportunity, that gives you the opportunity to promote yourself on the highest level. And in the end, all I want in return is what we agreed to. Anything less then you don't respect me and you're basically telling me that you don't give a crap about the opportunity that I just gave you. So we set the requirements. Uh, you have to pay a hundred dollar deposit. <laughs> that makes, that makes me know it's a non-refundable, but it'll go applied towards the balance you owe. 
That way I know that you for sure are going to do this. You're going to be there. You're going to promote the show. And then I usually give you an extra 10 tickets. Most shows are 200, um, I'm sorry, $20 tickets. So if I give you an extra 10 tickets, if you sell all your tickets and you're really worth what it is that you're preaching to me that you're worth, you can make 200 bucks. Now that may not sound like a lot of money, but no local artist is, is making $200 a show. Right. None, zero. And even if a venue or another promoter gives you the opportunity, they're giving you a $2 ticket cut. Right. No one's giving you $5 a ticket. And even at $5 a ticket, how many tickets you got to, how many tickets you got to do to even make 200 bucks? You got to sell an extra, you got to sell what, 40 tickets? Right. Now, granted that, that may break down the same, but sometimes it just gives them more of an incentive to want to work harder. Like, okay, cool. I sold 10 tickets. I get $5. I made 50 bucks. Like, cool. I made 50 bucks. But like you, you brought zero value to the show. You brought 10 people in. I don't really care. Right. And I feel like I just contradicted myself there, but like, I don't really care. That's just how I, how I view it. Right. Well, I mean, even with that, like there's a few, one, there's the opportunity to make the money that you put up for the tickets back. And then two, if you're selling them, it's probably going to be your friends or closest people or people that really do support you. So then you have merch at the show. You have an opportunity to make extra money off of that. True. And in the, in the introduction part too, like with, with me and what I do, I've got a massive list of people like, so it's different, but if you're reaching out to me for the first time, don't just come at me and say like, oh, bro, I can book, I can, I can bring out 50 people. Like, I want to see statistics. I want to see other shows that you've done with. And just to be very clear, when I say that you all annoy me, here's another pet peeve of mine. When you send someone your press kit or your information, you did not perform with. Can we please get that, that verbiage fixed? Because that is so annoying. They'll send you a list of who, what shows they've done, and they'll say with, I've performed with the Migos. No, the fuck you haven't. You opened for. You opened for the Migos. You never even saw them outside of watching them as a spectator. Come on, just just come correct and don't try to make yourself sound cooler than what you are because it's, your fact is you're not. And don't get me wrong, I, I've made all these mistakes myself. I did this wrong for many years before I felt like I figured out the best method to doing it. So I'm not judging you for doing it because I did the same thing, but like, come on, it's 2022 about to be 2023. Can we, if we're going to do all these pronouns and shit, can we at least get the wording correct on your press kits? Cause that shit is annoying. Fair enough. Uh, so it's actually a good question I had that I thought of. Um, and it's something that I'm noticing. So like, Obviously, we work with artists of a bunch of different genres. And what I'm coming to find out is that the longer bills of local support on the bills is more of like a hip hop thing. I'm starting to see that the venue, if there's a larger act at a smaller venue, there's one or two openers maybe, but they're not doing the the ticket sales. They're doing a different process that I'm not fully aware of. And then there's also a lot of... Uh, like cover bands who are like trying to get outside their market because they're making a living off of the uh, playing cover bands every night. So what would your advice, I guess, one be to somebody it, trying to expand, like how do you grow the cover band to continue to play venues outside your own market so you can be booked more? And two, is that playing the cover band? Yes, it's good for the money. Do you see that as a good way to grow a career? Like grow fans? Um, I have mixed feelings on that. And just to, to answer the first part first, when it comes to the ticket sales, it, this, the, the strategy that we're talking about right now is almost exclusively hip hop. 
this does not work the same way in other genres. And I can tell you that from uh, just rock bands, it's just these artists are so entitled, so egotistical, and they've literally done nothing in their professional careers that is worth a damn outside of maybe release an album and it's got a couple thousand streams on it. And again, I, I know I'm being very jaded here, but this is this is my experience over the last 17 years in the business. And, I, and, the, and the day that I actually meet the exception to the exception, I will be the first one to say that I'm wrong, but I'm not wrong. I'm 100% right 100% of the time when it comes to this. And I, I, I had to deal with a band that was a complete dickwad like literally the day before a show threatening to cancel because I wouldn't pay them. They sold zero tickets. Like that was, that was brought to them. Like, Hey, this is a ticket selling opportunity. They were supposed to sell tickets. I kept trying to get ticket updates as, as time wore on, I got more aggressive about why they're not answering me. Finally, I got some response back about like, well, we didn't sell any tickets. And I'm like, well, then you're not on the show. Like what the, I don't understand. Like, why would you say that you're going to sell tickets and then not sell tickets and then have an attitude about it? And then some random person from Nashville calls me, tells me that they're going to pull off the show unless I pay them $500 to perform. And then on top of that, this guy apparently knows the manager or the lead singer of the other two bands. He's going to get them. Bro, I about went down to Nashville and killed somebody. <laughs> like, who, who are you talking to? Why, why are you doing this? Right. Do you think this is acceptable? Like, who's going to work with you? Like, dude, you not have any idea how big my network is? Like, my God. Anyways, this wasn't supposed to turn into a ranting hour, but I'm just, I'm giving you the P's and Q's on the best way to do this. Now, in, in the rock space and in the other spaces, usually where there's bands, it's a lot different too, because like the DJ stuff with artists and rappers is easy, on, off, on, off. Change over time is super simple. Bands is not. It's why you only see one or two opening acts when it comes to people who have bands, because it's the time that takes to get on and off. Right. And you can like use, you can use certain setups over and over again, but a lot of times, man, that's why the sound guys are down there like busting their ass over a 15 minute changeover and then you're doing a quick line check even though you already did a full sound check it's it's just a lot more to do and why there's less artists on the rock side now from the uh cover cover band situation you can obviously showcase your talent because you can sing or you can play like that's great but like at the end of the day like there's just so many things on the back end even being a, a cover band that makes it really difficult to grow your own music and I have a perfect example. Like my uncle was in a band called the Well Hungarians where they released a lot of like original music, but they were primarily known and booked around like the entire St. Louis Midwest region as being a cover band and being one of the best. And they could play a ton of variations of stuff because they had, they just were madly talented. Why that never translated into success on their own music, I don't know. So like, I have mixed feelings. Like I would never personally start a band to be a cover band, but I also understand that there are opportunities out there. And then also, and this happens a lot too, like just think about like weddings, right? Weddings want to book cover bands, but also right. at the same time, like, is it cheaper to, to pay a band or is it cheaper to pay to play a DJ? And like, there's just a lot of like little variable things like that. And you got to take that into consideration when you're trying to even get booked as a cover band. Like, you know, do I keep myself as competitive rates versus a DJ because the DJ is self-sufficient and it's plug in here, push this here, they're self-sufficient. Or do I got to deal with five band members who might be on their periods with, you know, egos that I got to deal with all night? You know, like there's just a lot of things to take into consideration. 
Right. I guess like the thing that I'm coming to the conclusion of and like trying to like have started explaining and tell me if your your thoughts on it is if you are like in a cover band and you are having access to a studio or home studio equipment and an engineer record some of those covers post the content because with like certain licensing sites you can release them obviously you're going to get less of a royalty cut but that way you can start earning money on the on the royalties and also building up your spotify or your youtube pages and then you can sprinkle the original releases in so like anytime you gain a follower off of a cover on your spotify you submit your originals and it's automatically going to show up on the release radar yeah i would say from a streaming perspective it's much easier now to do that because yeah like content id like you're not going to get anything off of it once the original copyright is pulled but um as long as they don't block you from having it up on the ch on your channel like i mean that's what djs did on soundcloud i mean right. d look let, let's be honest here djs took popular songs and mashed them up like that's like that in all essence is a cover that cover artist you as a dj are a cover artist not wrong um so Obviously, we could go on and on about the, the booking show side. So, so to the people who are looking to get onto a show with a bigger act, what would you say, what steps should you take to do that? Um, like I said, just, sorry, my dogs are barking. You got to do research, man. That's really what it boils down to. Research. Um, the list is so, it's so long, but it could be so short. It depends on what your efficiency level is. I would, if I was trying to find a show, I would, I, I would like, let's say you're a rapper, right? And your favorite rappers are Dizzy Wright, Chris Webby, Ritz, uh, Tech Nine. Like, okay, cool. Now I know who I need to be on the lookout for when they come through my market. I need to see the venues when they're there. I should probably have all my contact information. Um, another thing too that people do that I that I have seen done is the whole tagging and with support type type uh, approach. It just garners more attention towards that artist. Like, let's say like Skyway Theater in Minnesota, like they'll post like um, <clears throat> some really dope giveaway for a show, an EDM show they have coming up. And I've seen it happen on their posts where it'll start getting so much engagement about the giveaway that people will be like, I'd really love to see this local artist open. And then boom, that, that comment gets like a thousand likes. And then people like commenting their name over and over and over again. like. That to me is probably the quickest way to get noticed without having it for someone to filter through emails. I know that's kind of like off topic, but that's just like a little, little, uh, little hack, little hack that I think might, might help some people in the beginning. But here's another thing too. I know I said that artists annoy me and whatnot. It's really hard for an artist to understand if they're actually good enough to perform. I think that in itself should be identified before you ever even think of trying to do a local show, if you ever think of trying to tour, because that is the downfall of so many artists. I, it was a downfall of mine. Bro, for my first show, I bombed. I was garbage. I couldn't remember my lyrics. I was nervous as shit. I had a ton of people who came out and I completely let myself down. I let them down. Yes, Jim Jones was a rapper. <laughs> um, but I could tell you the biggest thing out of everything that I did, even though I was constantly writing, constantly recording was working on stage show. That to me was number one. And when you're ready, you'll know you're ready. And I can't tell you 
how many garbage ass rappers I hear that are trying to get on shows. And it's just like, outside of like my personal subjective opinion on the, you know, you, what your music sounds like, if it's aesthetically pleasing, you suck. <laughs> like you're bad. Like you have no rhythm, you have no flow, you have no bars, you have no anything. And you want to perform on shows. What, do you like publicly embarrassing yourself? Right. Like, dude, the, peop the people on our, my list are people that I've worked with since 2014. Like, I know their quality of music. I wish they were bigger than what they were, but, like, I know. Like, bro, to have a new artist, like, I just, I, I guess we could just call it, like, uh, like, quality control. There needs to be someone in your life who isn't a yes man or a yes woman or a yes he, she, they, them that validates whether or not you should actually be doing Trying this play in a shows. public forum like that like that's once you get that check mark then maybe you should move to step two but if you're trying to skip that and just be like i'm ready to rap uh, no, maybe, maybe you uh, should be in the studio a little bit longer maybe maybe you should be in front of a mirror practicing yeah your everything figuring it out um, one thing that I ended up learning, like in my booking shows and trying to get on them experience, um, is a lot of times I would spend a lot of time emailing the venue that the places were at. And yeah, like you always should email the venue as well. But I started looking for who the promotion company is on the flyer of the show that you're opening for, because more often than not, they have control of who's going to open that show and who's going to be on that show with the headliner. So just look out for whoever that, um, the booking company is and find their contact information and reach out to them as well as the venue. Look it's at the logos. All, look at all the logos. See who's yeah. sponsoring. Look, here's the thing too. If you do everything in a very professional manner, it doesn't matter how many people you contact. Like they're not, they, they may be like, oh yeah, I heard from this such and such, but they're not going to be mad about it. But if it's just like you DMing somebody at a link 50 times, like that's, that's just auto delete. But if you, if you email the promoter, the venue, maybe a sponsor, maybe uh, someone else you already seen booked on the show. Like, and if you're very polite about it, like no one's ever going to get mad and they'll right. probably remember you the next time around. Like, sorry, you know, you didn't get to us in time. Like I tell people that all the time, send out the blast on what's available five days. Most things get booked up in an hour. Right. Like that's how quick this stuff happens with us. I've had other artists that will hit me back four days later and they're like, Oh, we want to take slot three. And I'm like, you know what? That's great. But like, I sent this email out like five days ago. Where were you at? Right. Like it's, it's already been filled up, but the, the politeness should garner you an opportunity for the next show, hopefully. Exactly. Um, and I think the last thing that I think that we should close up this, this long episode with is um, when you're at the show and you get the opportunity, uh, the booker, the promoter, everybody's already agreed. You're allowed to go to the show. Obviously the, the basic, you show up on time, you do your sound check on time. What, do you recommend for artists to do um, to make it a memorable experience for the people seeing them? Say the, per the, the people in the crowd enjoyed your set. Um, obviously some places allow you to put like signs with your logo or your social handles or your QR code. So if you can do that, do that. Um, one thing that worked for me was handing out business cards to people out in the crowd. Um, but how do you make sure that you're capitalizing on the people who are in that audience that, enjoyed seeing you and would like to either go find your music or see you again next time you play in that vicinity. 
Well, I can tell you the business card thing. Uh, pretty sure you got that idea from me. I did. Yeah. So when I was on tour with Mike Studd, uh, I literally would go out to the crowd, the, the line and just hand out business cards before the show even started. So maybe people would have an opportunity to check out my stuff before I even got on stage. But look, post show is more important than any, it's the most important aspect. If you literally come to a show just to do your thing, get off stage and feel cool and stand around with your bros and your hoes and act like you're the shit and you have no intention of going around and handing out cards or the popples or tapping your phone on your phone to get my information or handing out free CDs, then don't just stop. The, 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 dude, the grind to be successful is so much more than just acting cool. And if the venue lets you, if the venue lets you sell merch, the venue lets you put up signs like, bro, you need to have some person that goes with you and just like helps you hand this stuff out. Now, how many business cards I probably printed and handed out in my 10 years that I wrapped? Oh my God, dude, probably 50,000. Yeah. Like taking pictures with everyone, that's cool to do as long as it's not like inappropriate, but it's, you're, you're always going to get like that quick little run of people who like you come off stage and they're like, oh, that was super dope. And you'll have like, whatever. And then like, the important thing is to like, make sure again, you're, you're getting to everybody stand at the exit while everyone's leaving, right? Go up to the bar, put your cards on the bar, walk around to the bar. Like you're going to see your cards all over the floor. And some don't of it may be, ego. yeah, don't let it hurt your ego. Some of it may be intentional. People are like, Oh yeah, thanks. Fuck this guy. Some <laughs> of it just may be, I, I've seen, I've literally seen this happen. I've handed a card to someone and the guy goes to put it in his back pocket and he missed his pocket. Didn't even know he didn't put it in there. Or people are just too drunk and they forget and they drop it. Yep. But nothing, I, I've done this before. I've been at a show, someone hand me a card, been a little too tipsy, go home, take all the things out of my pocket, throw it on the counter, wake up the next morning and be like, oh shit, I forgot. I got to check out this artist. Like that's how that process is supposed to go. Yep. And then the follow-up to that is hopefully you're getting tagged in a tweet or an Instagram post where someone like put up a video on like, yo, this dude is dope. Or this music is awesome. I just found my new favorite artist. Like that was the most rewarding shit to me. That yep. was not not someone even buying my t-shirt, not someone smacking my hand. It was the, the extra steps that person took to remember the dopeness that was you. Yep. And that's how you turn them into a fan. That's how you get them to come back. And honestly, another thing I did too, this is a lot of work that no one else uh, that I know does this shit. When I used to see that, I used to screenshot every single handle from everybody and I had a list. I had it broken down by market. So if I was in St. Louis, I would have a list at such and such handle. I would literally sit at my computer, look at my screenshot, type that shit out. Next time I came into town, I had a hundred people on there from St. Louis that I would go to Twitter. I would tweet at each single one of them that yep. I was coming back to town. And Smart. I would probably get, I would probably get an 80% return on that. Yeah. Cause they're getting directly contacted. Oh, speaking of the direct contact, uh, one thing that I saw you do on that same tour was you had a look. Uh, it was a clipboard with blank sheets that allowed people to insert their email address on, so that they that way they could join the mailing list. Um, they're not as prominent now, but they're still the most important form of marketing, I think, which is the email list. Yeah, the email list was a, some was something we did a long time ago, and honestly, I got that from another promoter. His name's Vance. He would he would pay like high maybe not high school people, but he would pay like. 18, 19 year old girls and dudes, like the girls would go talk to the dudes, 
dudes would go talk to the girls and they would just come back with lists of littered with with contact information like uh, some of the strategies that i that i first started with came from just those little like extra effort that's really what it is extra effort right but, <clears throat> here's something that i, I want to get back to doing even from a promotional aspect for for concert promotion but use this as an artist if you forget social media put up a banner with a phone number on it yep put the banner up with a phone number every one of these sites now has it clavio mailchimp express text they'll sign you a free freaking number yeah it costs money to send the text but put that number up there and it says like text me for a chance to win a free shirt like people will text you yep like qr codes work but that text shit is where it's at. And if you can do a QR code that pops up to a text and has all your social media, like this stuff right here, I got one on my desk right here, like this guy right here, that's a dot card. So then that just, QR code will pull up everything. Yep. Whatever you pre-populate your profile with. And you could put that, you could put this on your banner. Just put it right there and and make it a point make it a people that don't talk about what's going on around them during the show like that's a rookie mistake you you even a headlining artist remind people like hey make sure during the break you go check out my merch table my merch person's name is john take care of john learn the bartender's names especially as a local artist learn the bartender's names right Be like make sure you go take care of stephanie over there at the bar she's been good to you guys all night like stuff like that they will remember and they'll want you back but that right there, the contact information, um, just letting people know. Because people are going to be sitting there and they, people may scan it, they may not scan it. But if you say like, hey, make sure you scan my QR code for a chance to whatever, whatever, like make it known. Make right. the show more about the intangibles that happen outside of just you performing. And people will remember those more than just you rapping over your backtracks. Right. Yeah, I like I like that what you said. Like, don't be like too cool to like do the extra work. Like. You have to go out and do it. Like, don't think you're being too much of a tryhard. Go do it so that way you can build the fan base. It was an investment for you to be there. So make sure you're getting an ROI. Dude, that's the biggest thing. That's the biggest thing. It is an investment. I burned through my 20s trying to be a rapper. And if I had more time, I feel like I would be still a rapper. But I just, just got tired of the hustle. Because at some point, you just, you like, you just get, you feel like you just, it's weird. Like, 34 at that time or whatever when i quit walking around talking to i'm at a freaking well this i was way, way younger but it was weird it was my first interaction with black bear it was the weirdest let's i'll, I'll tell this story and then we'll, we'll end the we'll end the show fair enough anybody who listens to black bear knows that he is very provocative and he talks about massive drug use and uh i got booked i think in 2014 by a promoter in st louis to do the t mills mod sun show obviously i knew mod from minnesota and i go and do the show and then out of nowhere we find out that there's another tour act that it was never discussed and it was some random person named black bear and everyone was like what a dumb fucking name who the hell is black bear and Dude, the whole show, T Mills' fan base, by the way, was super young. I'm talking like 14 to 17-year-old girls. It was weird. <clears throat> so, like, even cussing on stage felt super fucking weird. And Black Bear gets up there, and he starts talking about sexed, provocative, dirty stuff. And I'm just sitting in the back like, there's, uncomfortable. Parents, there's parents here who brought their kids to see this show. And I'm like, this is weird. 
needless to say, Black Bear is one of the largest artists on planet Earth. Billions and billions of Spotify streams, but it was weird. But the point that I was making is that in my own experiences, when I got older, doing some of these things felt just weird. You know, being in my early 30s, still going around doing this. And I, don't get me wrong, like this is the work that it takes. Like going to cities, going to Portland, going to uh, some grants pass, I think it was maybe in, in Oregon with on cue. I'm maybe 31 at the time and I'm out there handing out cards and like there's young people there like handing cards out to 14 year olds is weird. If it's a if it's a, a guy now it's still weird but like back then like handing them a card hopefully they have an older brother there or maybe their their dad or someone's off in the background but like walking up to a 14 year old girl when you're 31 and nah I'm not doing that. That's just it's weird. Fair enough. That's what That's where you for. that's where you really have to like talk about what's going on on stage and hope they just find you as a fan themselves and next time they'll pay for a meet and greet that way it's a paid experience rather than me just approaching a 14 year old girl at a show fair enough fair enough well i don't have anything else for this episode um we'll be back next week to talk a little bit more about uh some other some other cool techniques and knowledge that you might need as an artist do you have anything else for this one jim no no sorry we rambled on there but uh every time i get them every time we talk about shows can't can't stop myself (laughs) that's that's the sweet spot all right we will catch you guys next week thanks for tuning in